You're listening to Microspy, a podcast that takes a closer look at the lives and work of musicians and creatives I admire. My name is Eric Rattensperger. In this episode, I speak with Anthony DiDio of the Boston hardcore band Vane. Vane is one of the heaviest hardcore bands out there today. Their creativity, along with their musical capability, is arguably unrivaled. Their 2018 full-length, Aerozone, is a blistering and beautiful record that pushes musical and conceptual boundaries. This band has such a unique style, combining various influences, creating a sound and visual world all of its own. Anthony and I discuss those influences, creative process, what determines a good song, and the nuance of triggering emotion. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Anthony DiDio of Vane. So when I was extremely, extremely young, like like a child young, I would just listen to like whatever my brother and sister listened to, and they would give me their CDs and stuff. A little bit later on, you know, into middle school, uh, I had a friend that played guitar and I played bass. We both got into like a lot of like metal and stuff together. My brother and sister, all the, all the stuff that they liked, I feel like was way more rooted in punk. By the time I got to high school, I had an idea of like, I, like I knew what type of music I liked. I met one of my best friends, uh, his name's Miles. I met him like, first day of high school. And we just like clicked on the music that we liked. What were some of the bands or the artists that your brother and sister were listening to? I like watched them basically grow up in their teenage years through like the late 90s, early 2000s. So like they were super into like Blink-182, Newfound Glory, The Strokes, The Hives. I'm trying to think of just like other bands. Tons of shit though, like tons and tons and tons of shit. Those are some of the things that I picked up on because, like, I was, like, seven, eight years old. Those are, like, the things that I heard that I gravitated towards that they had. But they also showed me, like, Converge and Botch and Jerome's Dream, too, actually. That's how I found out about Jerome's Dream, you know, just off the top of my head. But uh, because, like I said, at, like, you know, freshman year of high school, like, there was Converge and there was, like, Hatebreed. And those were, like, two bands that I liked that were hardcore bands but you know kind of like transcended that level of hardcore because they're just like massive fucking bands but a year in high school me and miles you know we're talking he's like dude there's this place called uh anchors up it was like a diy venue in haverhill went on myspace and like found all the bands there was this band called revenge and there was a band called the carrier and those were like the first two bands out of the group out of the you know the bunch that I had found and looked up this is also when I just started to learn how to download music or like find music on the internet found those bands and we started going to those shows and that's that's when I considered when I first actually got into hardcore was like starting to go to those shows because that's when everything like you know the ethics of it the morals of it the practices of it the the experience like how it all worked that was like my real actual introduction to hardcore punk so you weren't even that far from home. Like this was all kind of, you know, within a stone's throw of, of where you grew up. Anchors Up was like, is in Haverhill. So it was like 20 minutes from where I lived. I was pretty aware of it for a long time before I could even go because I could just never, you know, get rides to shows or 
I didn't have a car or anything, so. It's crazy, actually, how how young you were when you were actually exposed to this music that kind of led you to the awareness of what was happening on a local level, you know? And so mm-hmm. when you finally went to those shows, those first shows, and you were just like, holy shit, would you say that like that kind of was the moment where like the world opened up to you and you're like, okay, this yeah. is something that I want to deep dive on? Definitely, because it's like, It's like that feeling you get in your headphones when you're a little kid, but it's like cranked up to a million because it's like a ton of tension in a room and that like the adrenaline and like the feeling of like fear of like being afraid at a show Mm -hmm. or like being afraid of the environment because it's so foreign, but it's like so exciting that you like can't get enough of it at the same time. I, I definitely think so. I think those initial feelings of like feeling that adrenaline and that fear and excitement and like that energy is what sticks with you forever. Completely. I mean, that that reminds me of when when I was going to shows when I was younger as well. And I'm just kind of digging in the archives, like thinking of all the shows that I was at where the energy in the room was so intense. And in particular, you know, I I mean, I've seen Hatebreed many times Mm -hmm. growing up in Connecticut, Hatebreed being a Connecticut band. And also um, Jamie Josta, who is the singer of Hatebreed, he was putting on so many shows at the time locally within Connecticut and and the New York area. And so in my day, because I'm a little older than you, is... I was seeing Hatebreed in like these like VFW halls and they were fucking like like hundreds of kids packed in this space and everyone was on the floor there you know Hatebreed wasn't playing on stages at the time right but the energy in the rooms were it was insane and it border you know bordering on the line of of violent you know there are some shows where I had to be like against the wall because if you went into the pit, you were going to get your jaw knocked loose. I'm 25 now. And when you're at a show, you know exactly what to expect. You know how it goes down. It doesn't mean you're not enjoying the music, but you're you're more or less desensitized to like how everything works. Being uh, young and like seeing a bunch of people in a room that you don't know at all go crazy like that. Because like also when when I was younger too before that like the only things i had seen were like concerts and shit where there's like a barricade and like big lights and stuff so when you take that's when you remove that separation and it's like the band and the crowd are one working unit and it's like there's no there's no barriers and the energy just flows throughout the room and you don't know if you're gonna get punched in the face or like if you're what you don't know what's going to happen that's like the that's the feeling that made me want to keep coming back for sure what do you think was happening sort of in your mind when you were experiencing these bands live you you started to find yourself suddenly becoming a part of this underground culture you know like you were kind of responding to it in a way that hits you on a visceral level right like you said it's almost similar to like cranking a song up, you know, to 11 in your headphones and you just have that feeling. What is it about hardcore and punk rock that you think you've, that has resonated with you so much? I think finding a lot of this music, I think that year that I uh, started going to those shows, I I got into so much music that I still love now. That was like such a pivotal year for me. 
I think that was like the point where the stuff I was discovering, I was like, oh, this is the thing I've wanted to hear forever. Like, this is what I've been looking for. This makes sense Mm -hmm. to me. I relate to this. Like when I put this on in my headphones, this makes me feel a certain type of way that I love and like I'm addicted to it. You know what I mean? It's like a feeling you, you relate to it. And also it's like hardcore punk is... If you're a musician, that's a platform for you to be able to create that feeling, not only for yourself, but for someone else. I think that's like the biggest reward of it. And that's like why I still love it and why I loved it in the first place is just that feeling of relating to a song or playing a song and, you know, expressing yourself through it. When you hear a song and you're just like, damn, like, I can relate to this. Is it something that you relate to on on a visceral level or is it something that it almost like pacifies some kind of feeling within you and almost helps you like like divert a certain uh, relationship you have with something else? You know, it kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, I've actually never really articulated it in this way or I've asked, I haven't even really asked anyone about this specific relationship with the music but I think it's safe to say that that this type of music it's obviously so incredibly cathartic and so emotionally driven I imagine that when you do hear something that that kind of gets you in that certain way it's almost like tapping into a place in your your mind and and how you feel it's like it almost like it almost like extracts that feeling in a way yeah 100 percent it's almost like movies, like uh, sometimes scenes in movies just make me cry for no reason. But like it'll be like a weird scene out of a random movie and, and I could be in the best mood ever, but I'll watch it and it'll take that emotion out of you. And it's like, I think mu- music works the same way. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're angry and you want to throw on this because you're angry or you're in a good mood. So you want to put this on because you're in a good mood, this type of mood. But sometimes... You could be in any type of mood, and the music that you're listening to will bring a completely different mood out of you. It can almost act as a trigger. Yeah, it, it's super triggering, like 100%. That's 100% what it is. Like the way a film is structured or the way a scene is structured and, and how all the layers are put together in terms of how, how the music cues up, you know, or, or right. particular, uh, even, even a particular color, however the, the, the scene is, is constructed. It's almost like... There's a formula to like manipulate the way people feel based on certain applications. And in a way, it makes me think about how a band, in particular a hardcore band, could set it up where if they, if they break down a part in a, in, a, in a certain way, the whole floor is going to explode. Basically. It's like a science equation it or a math equation or something. Yeah, it, yeah. it kind of is. I mean, that's what I observed with Hatebreed. They weren't one of my favorite bands, but they were always playing, and there was always other bands that I did like who played with them. Right. But every time they played, it was like clockwork. The The floor, the audience, would just explode as soon as they started playing. You, you listen to those types of songs that they wrote, and there's just a, a perfect setup. They're perfect songs. Yes, and they, they build up this particular tension, and then once they drop it all hell breaks loose. Do you approach 
vein songs in a similar mathematical equation or in a similar navigation as you would maybe observe in film? There's obviously like a lot of thought put into like how the songs are structured and stuff, but I don't I don't really think it's looked at in a way of like an equation. The most that's like premeditated could be along the lines of like, I really want a song that like makes me feel this way, or I really want a song that, you know, makes you feel like this. I I, th- I think a lot of it happens either by accident or just like out of like, you know, I like the way this sounds. And then you start to realize those things after. You almost like discover the effects in real time based on experimentation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you write a part, something happens by accident maybe, and everybody starts freaking out. And then it's like, oh, people are going to kill each other to that part. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like it's like, it's like an accident. You know what I'm saying? But then, but I think where that mindset comes in afterwards is like when you're looking at all that, like if you're writing material for a record and you're like, how is this paced? You know what I mean? Is this boring? Like you kind of have to put yourself in the shoes of the of the listener a little bit. And I guess that's like where the the equation part comes in, but in terms of like the writing, it's I think it's more on like I don't I don't really think we think about that type of stuff going into it that on that level a little bit. You know what I mean? I believe that because I think Vane is an incredibly cathartic band. I can tell that it comes from that place. Like you said, it, it might have a calculation to a, a degree, but not, but maybe not until later. You know, I think I could, I could feel that the songs come from an honest place, but there's also this level of technical skill that I think a lot of other bands don't have. So it's almost like you have like this weird uh, double whammy combination of being really great players and songwriters. And of course, you know, you as the vocalist, the, the, how you dance on top of it all and how it all comes together, it just kind of creates this, um, this sort of cyclone of, of a sound. To see it live this past summer when we played those few shows together, it was, it was really exciting to see, especially after, you know, when Arizona came out. And that, as a record, the range that it shows in terms of your understanding of songwriting, dynamic uh, production... It's pretty wild because all that said, at the end of the day, at least the way I receive the songs, they still sound incredibly emotive and expressive and just like coming from a place of like the depths of of wherever you're digging into. Well, thank you. I I feel, you know, that's that's how we feel about the music as well. And yeah, going back to what you were saying earlier too, like I think what it is is like when you... there's like different levels of listening to music. And if you're a musician and you, you're listening to your favorite music, you're like downloading information that you don't realize you're downloading. As a listener. As a listener, but yes. also as a, and it goes into your musicianship. And then when you're writing music, those little tendencies and all those, th- it's like a ton of material that went into your brain and then it's like what you want to, your creative mind is like a filter and then it goes through the filter and then it, it comes out a certain way. But like if I picked up an instrument and I list, I put on a hate breed song and I'm like, okay, this part is in this time signature and then they shift it there and then they drop it out there. That's good to analyze. But if I, if I only did that and I, and I went, well, this is what they did. So I'm going to try and follow this formula. You just write really bad music. 
it, it is definitely like all raw and real, and then it's semi-calculated. You're synthesizing information as a listener, but also as a mu- musician and songwriter. And then right. you take that information, as you say, and apply it in a way where it's not like you're you're completely replicating something, but you're almost taking cues from music that has affected you in a certain way, or, or even, even songs, specifically song parts. That's an amazing way to... Um, to a, a, approach the creative process, which actually I was going to ask more about, and we're already talking about it. You're all incredibly talented musicians. How would you say the integration is between, you know, all of your influences? So it's like not just one person processing just one song. It's like a handful of people, a handful of musicians who are almost taking their own information and then applying it to this group of songs that ultimately became... A record. We wrote Old Data and A Dead Machine, and that was like, I feel like that song kind of set the template for the sound. And then just over the years, we would just talk about what we wanted the record to sound like, what we wanted the record to look like. And there's like a common goal and a common idea. And like, we're all best friends. So like, back then it was just me, Matt, Josh, and Jeremy. And like, we all Mm. listened to like the same music and stuff. And we all had a similar idea of like what we wanted, but we all also, you know, respectively listen to our own different kinds of music. So we do have our own different kinds of influences that we let out in our own ways. I'm bringing up Arizona just because I, I think I've listened to that record front to back more, more than, than anything. I view it as sort of this cohesive piece, but it's interesting to learn how it, it was sort of like a long time coming leading up to the the curation of those songs that ended up on the record. So with that one specifically, it was like uh, Old Data was written first, and then that put us on a page where, like in terms of sound, uh, we wrote Untitled, and then we wrote the song Quitting Infinity, and we recorded it the three songs to like send to this label they never said anything and then like a year later we just like we're like oh fuck it let's just drop those recordings as like a demo so we put those out and then at that time I think we had like half the record done the songs kind of came gradually over time some of them we all wrote together some of them I wrote on like my computer some of them Jeremy wrote on his computer and then obviously those computer versions you bring in and like they change, you know, what I mean? like everybody's going to put their their touches on it and you write it together. There were songs that like Doom Tech, like Matt basically just wrote the whole thing on drums and just like was like, oh, this part next, this part next. And we added the guitars on top of it. Some of the riffs he even wrote. Did he start? with time signatures and then brought those time signatures to the band. I was like, okay, this is like, this is the drum part. Kind of, but, but he, he wasn't like, Hey, I have this time signature. He was like, Oh, I want to, I want to do a song that goes like this and just start going, you know what I mean? Like on the, on the, on the drums. That's another thing. Like we don't really, I mean, at least me, we don't really know like time signatures and like music theory and stuff. Jeremy might know the most, but, we know enough, but like, especially back then, I don't really think we knew that type of stuff. And just, but we knew like audibly and like feeling wise, like what worked. Yeah, it's it's almost like you play this part, and you're like, I want to play this part, and I love this part. And the part is like, I don't know, seven, eight, or 
something, but you don't know that it's 7-8. And that wasn't the intention going in, but you're playing like an odd time signature without realizing it. That was JD's reality when we were younger. I mean, we had no idea how to identify an off time signature. It's just what we wrote and it's just what we felt. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's just what we felt was right. I mean, it's weird because we weren't like, especially back in the day when we did the 10 inch and even presents, we weren't like so deliberate and trying to like write riffs that were super odd time signatures. It's just kind of how our minds worked together and it's just sort of what came out on paper. But I could never tell you if it was like a, a seven, eight time signature or a four, six. I don't know any of that shit. Exactly. And and that's the same case with us. I think you guys having that that approach to your music definitely was an influence on us without mm. us even realizing that. You know what I mean? It's just it's very, very, very expressive and percussive and yes. not. Yes. But it's it's very on, uh, I guess, uncalculated. That's a great way to put it. I feel like you don't have to you don't have to be versed in musical theory to like write music that that transcends the the typical 4/4 time signature. You just have to be willing to to navigate it and and take risks and explore the sort of um I mean, I don't even really know like I was going to say like explore the the navigation of it all, but again, and this kind of reminds me of a conversation I just had with Jeff Garlic from Orchid because we were kind of talking about the difference between like having a plan and then sort of just going with it. This reminds me of that where when we were writing music at the time, we were just kind of going with it and basing it on how we felt about it. We didn't really think anything beyond uh, just how the song made us feel. And kind of kind of to what you said a little bit earlier about how like something to the effect of like, like if a mistake happened and then everyone in the room was just like, oh shit, like that, it's fucking awesome, you know? A similar thing would happen to us in our writing process where like we'd be at rehearsal and like we'd run through a song that we just wrote and our green light as to whether or not it it, it worked was if we stopped the song and and the three of us just laughed. Yeah. (laughs) You know? It's, that's the, because that's like the best, that's the best feeling in the whole world. It is. It feels like you unlocked the hardest door to unlock. You didn't even realize it was there, and then you open it up. Totally. You know, I don't even know, but but like, <laughs> yeah, that feeling of just like flipping out after that, or you can't even get through playing the song because you're all like laughing so bad. <laughs> that was like the, that was definitely like a lot of writing that record, and even this rec- even this record too. There, there's been moments like that. The record we're working on now i think it yeah. should always be like that you know what i mean because if it's not then it's like what's the point what was the thing you had just said that that jeff garlock had said about like saying about playing versus uh or or like knowing versus what you're actually playing we were more so talking about just like how at the time when drums dream and orchid were touring together and how it's just weird for us to kind of reminisce and look back on those days where of course when we were younger we had no idea what was transpiring we had no idea like what it what it was that we were doing or uh, the impact that what we had created would would have any lasting or staying power over the years how were we to know that that fucking skull split record was going to 
still be kind of circulating about on the internet. We just had no idea. What he was responding to, I forgot exactly what I asked him about it all, but I think he was just saying in general, his approach to music, his approach to punk rock, his his approach to just getting in a van and touring with his friends, that's really what it really came down to. There's no like real grand plan or even like deliberate aspirations to become anything more. You know, it was more about the present moment. I think that's right. what we were talking about. You can have such a strong idea and expectation of, of what you want in your head for like the way a song's going to sound or the way a part's going to sound or the way a video's going to look or artwork's going to look. You, you have like such a strong uh, idea of it, but at some point you also have to like realize that you're never going to achieve that 100% exact thing that you have in your head. You might, but nine times out of 10, you don't all the way. So you kind of have to like go with it and see what works or, or just do what is best. I think that's another big part of like writing music with this band too, is like, there'll be things that I keep thinking about in my head or like a song idea or a certain type of thing, like sound. And then once we jam, we do something entirely different, but it like, you know, it's like the thing you're thinking of that you wanted. It's not exactly that thing, but it's, it's the reality. It's the real version of it. Especially when you bring it to the people you're collaborating with, right? Like it it invariably becomes its own version of what you might have had initially in your head, you know, whether it's a song or whether it's a, a even, I don't know, even a record design, you know, like packaging, graphic design, the, the, the whole, the whole thing that kind of surrounds uh, putting out a record when other people weigh in on, on their own take on, on what might work or whatever. Um, that's part of the process. Uh, in most cases I, I found, especially like in, in punk music, I mean, I'll demo stuff for, for JD and then, of course, you know, when I bring it to Jeff and Nick, it, it completely changes because Nick is his own guitar player and Jeff is his own bassist. And, and of course, when he applies lyrics and, and vocals to it, it, it takes on its own life. You mentioned design and you like you mentioned um, sort of like visuals and all that. Vane has struck me as a band who has a very clear creative direction when it comes to design and, and album covers and even your website and your merch, there's like a very clear artistic vision. What can you tell me about that? What, what's kind of inspiring what the vain world has become over the years visually? I mean, I think growing up, we were all attracted to, you know, video games, anime, horror movies, all sorts of shit like that. And those are the types of things that we always resonated with. So when it came time to do this band, it was like all the visuals were always inspired by, inspired by, you know, things of the like. There's like big obvious ones that I feel like are present in the visuals, especially in the early days. You know, Silent Hill or like like Japanese horror movies and stuff. Like our first T-shirts ever were like rips of like there was like a Ringu rip. And there was like an Uzumaki rip, which is like this horror manga. Those are like the first t-shirts we ever did. And since then, all the stuff we've done is just inspired by the things that we like visually. Well, I love how you're not you're not like adhering to a mold as far as what a heavy band's aesthetic should be like. 
I think that's right. what really makes you guys stand out from a visual standpoint is it's not it's not your typical presentation of the music. It's and, and for me like it was something that I couldn't really put my finger on at first, you know, but it speaking of like like eliciting like a particular feeling, like even the visuals of Vane they make me feel a certain way because I think it's such a clear creative direction and it's really cool to hear you reveal sort of the references behind how you guys have have decided to present the band like Japanese anime and 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 video games I I, I never really would have thought that but of course once you say that it's like oh yeah that makes sense (laughs) yeah I mean those are just the things that we we love so it's like if you have a a strong idea or a strong vision for your band the things that you love or even things that you might not know about that pop up like a movie trailer or you know something new that you discover which I'm always trying to discover new stuff in that regard but it'll pop up and you go oh that that's vain or like oh that's super Jerome's dream you kind of take note of it in your mind and it's like you almost you know what is your band that you can adapt from other things. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're like ripping them off. I think music when it's like when you listen to music and you you see things or you see colors or you see like this song reminds me of this or this song makes me feel like I'm in this place or this song makes me feel makes reminds me of this movie or this game or whatever. It's important. We just know what represents Vane. So we kind of just take a little bit of influence from everything that we've ever liked. And you, you listen to the music and you just think of things. You come up with ideas like this song makes me like the virus thing was like, I knew that in the video I wanted an eyeball to get cut out of a head, you know, or someone to cut <laughs> their eyeball out of their head. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And have the, the, the tunnel footage and like, cause that's, those are the things that I would like think of when I would hear the song and Amazing. like have it all be like bright white blown out oversaturated colors. There was one definitely direct influence on that video in particular. There's this movie called fallen angels that I really, really like. There's a lot of tunnel shots of this guy, like riding a motorcycle with there's like neon green lights and like all the colors are blown out. I'm sure that a lot of those ideas too, just the things we come up with or like even the way Matt runs the Instagram or like the, yeah. we make a lot of little like tour videos and stuff. I'm sure it's all just like a, a subconscious mix of like influences that, that we've had forever. But you know, when you're sitting there on like a, like a program like Premiere Pro or something, you kind of just, you mess around with stuff until you can craft it in a way where you're like, oh, this represents Vane. I know what I know what this is. You know what I mean? I think it just it comes down to like having a strong identity of knowing what is your band visually and what isn't. You mentioned the the, the tour videos that you guys have made that you posted on Instagram. And those are actually some of the, the ones that I, I really love the most. Cause you know, the, you're kind of like using these like VHS tape style, like a super eight cam or something. And it, it feels super nineties to me. I don't know. There's just something about the combination of Vane's music with this, this very clear visual aesthetic that to me as, as a fan and as a listener, it like, successfully creates this very appealing world to me. 
when you have a clearer picture of what your band is visually, it it just adds like a, a an additional layer and depth to the world that you work so hard at creating in the first place, just as a musician, as an artist. I asked Justin Pearson from The Locust a similar thing about visual aesthetics that kind of revolve around his label 31G because, again, it's such a clear creative direction. It really invariably like affects the way I receive all of the releases that, that he's put out or the records that he's put out or the bands that he's in. It just has like a level of cohesion that it creates a space for the music to live within. Did he like talk about like, oh, this thing inspired me to do this, or this thing inspired me to do that. Because sometimes I feel as though, like, the influences, like, when I look back at all that stuff, the influences are so clear. But, like, I think in the the moment sometimes you don't really think about it. You're just like, I want to do this because I have this idea. And you don't really question it. You kind of just do it. And then you take a step back from it. And you're like, oh, this kind of reminds me of, uh, like, this thing. You know what I mean? Like, uh... I don't I don't know how I don't know how much he actually expanded on on the actual influences but to what you just said that that reminds me of just my creative approach you kind of make things that that sort of resonate with you on a on a visual right. level like things that make you feel a certain certain way my approach to to the visual aspect of 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 the band stuff it, it I mean I I I probably subconsciously draw from so many different areas yeah. you know it's not like mm-hmm. one particular thing i definitely think like i i, I have an, an affinity for like you know old skate videos and stuff like that and i have oh an, yeah but but i haven't i also really love like super minimalist layouts with like you know simple typography and and like nothing in the background you know it's like this this weird combination and that has a lot to do with what i grew up listening to it's weird it's like i listen to all the old heavy hardcore bands that had, you know, a very particular aesthetic, whether it's like, you know, eroded um, press on letter typography with like photocopied graphics. But then I also listened to like the more indie rock type stuff, like from Drag City or Thrill Jockey bands like uh, Sea and Cake. I mean, even even like a band like Shellac, who's like heavy and, and they're punk as fuck, but like their aesthetic was like really clean to me. So like there was like this like weird combination of like minimalist graphic design paired with shit that was like more gritty or um, fucked up. And I think Jerome's Dream kind of like took on a little bit of both of that aesthetic. I mean, now that you mention it, like like we have taken on that aesthetic, you probably, well, definitely from you guys, because, yeah, that's definitely why. Because we do, we do somewhat of a similar thing. I never really thought about it like that, but like the completed uh, yeah. CD. Yeah, yeah, like the way that Mm -hmm. that picture looks, and the way that the the yeah the minimalist typing, like the the very clean font, like that definitely influenced us. It definitely influenced. I mean, Jerome Jerome's dream is like the biggest is like the origin influence of Vain, but uh, in in general across across the board. But definitely visually, I never even thought about that. But see, see, that's the thing is like. You know, whenever you get asked this question, it's tough because it's like, I feel like I don't, I don't really think about it that much because right. you don't realize it's happening when it's happening because you're, you're just, it's all subconscious, like you said. Exactly, and that, and that's, that's exactly what I was talking about with what Jeff Garlock was saying from Orchid was, in, in the moment, you're, you're not really thinking about it that much, 
And I think that has a lot to do with just being a creative person. You know, you, you could be somewhat strategic about it, but at the end of the day, like when you're, when you're making this type of music, yeah, you want to make the best version of it. But when you're creating it and when you're collaborating with your friends making it, you kind of just get on with it. And then, of course, you navigate it along the way. And you have to have those moments where you're all laughing uncontrollably because that's, like you said earlier, and I love how you put it, where it's like you, you realize that you've unlocked something, you know? Yeah, totally by accident. I mean, that's like for some reason that reminds me of like playing a video game and then like you unlock some like secret, some secret door or something like that. And uh, and it's it's like by accident, but it's also like there was a journey up to that point and every yeah. piece, every step along the way of that journey led to you unlocking that door. It's, it's like um, you could write like a really shitty song and you keep jamming it and then it's everybody's finally over it but you take like maybe one part of it and then you write all these new parts and then that other part of that song suddenly comes back and like all these pieces start to connect it's like a puzzle so like every step along the way is just a step towards something happening I'd imagine like after playing the the types of shows you were playing in front of so many people, that probably gives you sort of this like additional insight in like how to approach songwriting, I would imagine. It it just depends on the crowd and where you're playing and what certain types of people enjoy certain types of things. Like we just went to Europe and we played in front of a ton of people. It wasn't our crowd. It was like we were opening, but it was... uh, you know, a much larger crowd, those people don't know who you are. It's a, it's not like hardcore, like a hardcore crowd. So it's like, you have to learn how to communicate with those people. And you have to learn how to like, you have to learn their language, kind of, you have to learn how to like, how to play to them. You don't want to like, do something that's not you, you don't want to like, not be yourself, but you can't, you have to learn how to like, adapt to that environment. With that being said, there's certain songs that like, you know, you know, which songs are appropriate for like, what, audience i don't think it's influenced the songwriting at all because it's like we want to write the songs we want to write we want to write the songs that make us feel a certain way and most of the time it's like when when we do write a new song it's like and you have that laughter moment you're like oh you picture like a show scenario so like some songs might make you think of crazy small diy shows some songs might make you think of playing in front of those bigger crowds because it might be a bigger song that is for that type of crowd. You don't want to compromise your songwriting for the crowd ever. It's it's just more like learning what to play where and adapting to those audiences. The challenge of assessing the crowd that you're playing to or in front of, that's a, that's a really interesting insight because, yeah, it, it could really vary between playing in front of 40 people in a small DIY spot versus playing in front of, you know, a thousand people in a theater. You do have to figure out how your music kind of works within those contexts. I mean, we had a similar challenge when we were on tour with Daughters uh, in October because the, the rooms were much bigger. In fact, the rooms were the, the biggest that we've played. You know, we were playing on average between, you know, 500 to, to maybe 1,000 people a night. For us, it's, a, it's an interesting 
context to be within because, for one, Jeff doesn't face the crowd. So it's kind of interesting, the idea of this this hardcore band playing on this big stage and the the band members not facing the crowd. and, And then in addition to that, the crowd not knowing really who we were because they weren't there for us. So yeah, you're kind of faced with, with you're faced with these challenges, and it's like a real crapshoot as to like whether or not the crowd will get it or like it or, um, or or anything like that. At least like from my experience, especially with with the recent touring that we've done, like, and I don't know what you think about this, but like, because as as Vane continues to to tour and as the the crowds continue to grow, like, for us at least, it it's been kind of an interesting. Uh, navigation being a band that came up playing house shows and VFW halls and like very small like DIY spaces going from that to like playing bigger rooms and to play on stages and all that like the the, the graduation from like being just like a, a small DIY hardcore band to still a small DIY hardcore band that just happens or happened to be playing in front of more people this past year kind of an interesting transition for us but now that we're back home and that we've also returned to starting to write I can't help but have that experience of that amount of touring and the types of crowds that we played to have have an influence but but not necessarily in the in the way of like us writing new music that sort of is intended for those types of crowds but I think you said it better than I'm saying it. It's just like how how you how you guys have kind of bottled that experience of playing to those people, and then but still bringing it like behind closed doors and having it start with you guys first. That was a really long winded descriptor because I, I was just trying no, to. No, I totally, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, totally know what you mean. And 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 also playing big shows like that can be extremely inspiring. And it's yeah. Like you said, it's it might not be in a way to inspire you to be like, I want to make a song that's going to be big enough for that crowd. It's like, no, that was an incredible experience, and now I just want to write music because yes, exactly. I love that experience. And, um, and what I also think is really cool is taking ideas that came from a basement and putting it in front of that many people because it's just it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't work. You know what I mean? Like when you, (laughs) like when you, like when you think back to like where those songs came from and what Mm -hmm. they were meant for, it's like, how is this, how is this song being played here I know in front of this many people, but somehow it works though. You know what I mean? And I I remember I, when we played those shows with you guys, one, that one venue in DC was like, Mike mic'd up, but it was like very small. And then the next show in Richmond there was no mics and it was I was like oh this is like a real Jerome's dream show because it's like on the floor and you know this is what I always imagined or like the videos I saw and stuff and then I saw you guys in LA at um that warehouse place and it was like mic'd up and there was a ton of people and it like it sounded fucking insane like it sounded huge and it made me and and I think especially the newer songs sounded so good and i was like i had like a completely different perspective on the band in that moment because it was like oh this this literally works like this sounds incredible and this is like amazing to watch thank you so like it is interesting like to be able to take it and put it on that platform 
to to return to this and to play these types of shows it's just it's just like a weird it's a weird time for punk rock because of course when we were doing it the internet was just popping off it it wasn't as prominent and it we certainly weren't able to really use it to our advantage to get the music out there whereas now it's like the the reach for punk rock has expanded exponentially like it, it's as attainable and accessible as any other type of music or any other type of thing that you want to consume it's there for the taking and i think that's been a really great thing for the scene is it, it's it's kept it going and i think there's this there has been a success of people and bands kind of adhering to you know, punk rock ideals and, and being mindful of a, of, a, of a diy spirit but taking advantage of the reach that the internet has and i think that's why these shows were so much bigger than what they were back in the day you know that show that we played in Virginia together was was amazing because it felt like an old hardcore show, but there were like, you know, 300 kids there or something like that. It was amazing. I want to ask you, where do you think the band is, is evolving now? Like, is there any, is there, is there a specific direction that you find yourselves going in or is it kind of still happening in real time and you're figuring it out as as you go? I think it's, a thing that was not premeditated, but like there was what we're going into now, especially with this record and what where where I see the band going is something that was, I feel like, incepted like a long time ago, but is now it's like every day it's becoming more and more real. And I think it's like it's like half a plan and it's half figuring it out as you go along. And and that's again, like I said, it, that's what I'm most excited about. Is just because Arizona was so so old and so like we knew exactly what we were doing. A lot of stuff changed when we went into the studio, but it was like very minor things. Yeah, we were like going into it though. We were so like set. Like these are the songs. These are how they go. <laughs> I could listen to them in my head if I want. <laughs> this is it. Whereas with this one, it's like. These songs are so fresh. There's way more room for like those crazy accidents or crazy weird happenings to happen. I'm so excited. And it's like the direction is is definitely clear and everybody's on the same page. And now it's more of just like you stay on that page. And there's probably tons of surprises around the corner that I, I don't know are going to happen. And I'm just excited to see it all unfold within the band. You know what I mean? Like. I'm just excited to see the whole thing actually become real. I think there are uh, tons of people who who feel the same. But yeah, I want to acknowledge that when we played with you guys this past year, we couldn't help but see a band who really took their craft seriously. And I think we really admire and we really appreciate seeing a band that takes it as seriously as you guys do. I think you guys have a very particular approach to the work and I loved being able to talk about it today to get further insight and a, a deeper view of, of that process because it, it clearly shows in all facets of the work whether it's the music whether it's the presentation uh, the live show in particular which is like if people haven't seen this band yet you have to see them especially when they return with their new music and new record you guys are kind of carving out your own path and redefining like what heavy 
music is you're drawing from so many different influences and you're melding them into this singular vision that works like you said earlier in the conversation it's because it's all stuff that you guys genuinely love and and you're not you're not creating walls between those things and the music that you're making you're actually able you've been successfully able to integrate everything that that you're creatively interested in and make it like this singular thing that is vain so yeah i just wanted to give you guys that acknowledgement not like you need it but like that's something that that we i think really admire about you guys and the fact that you've you've further defined it today um i think uh yeah i really appreciate that that means that means a lot and that means a lot especially coming from you I I really appreciate it, and I, I hope I elaborated on it enough. I'm usually bad at these kinds of things. I, I get all scatterbrainedly, but it's, yeah, I guess you're right, like, when you say that, because I even see Jerome's Dream is the same thing, where it's just all encompassed into one thing. That's why it's kind of hard to explain, because it's like, it's just so you, right. that it's like, just a mixture of everything that is you, or everything that you love, and everything that you, the ideas that pop up in your head, and the the things that you want to see and the things that you want to hear and what you want to create, you know, it's all, yeah, in one singular thing. It's a great way of putting it. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this on social media. You can also make a donation, buy a t-shirt, or simply send me a note of encouragement. That's always nice. Thanks for listening.